0: This week's guest, Curtis Watson from GTP Services. In this week's news, New Orleans disaster, tile, slow payments, Josh Bone, and more. Construction is the world's oldest industry but spends the least amount of money on innovation. When we realized people outside the construction industry didn't typically associate construction with Technology like virtual reality, apps, and robotics, we started the Contact Crew. Each week, we bring our listeners the latest in Contact News and interview the minds behind the technological innovations changing the world the way we build. So tune in, enjoy the ride, and geek out. It's Contact Crew time. Well, good morning everybody, and if you were wondering who these incredible gentlemen joining me are, I have a special guest host today, Jonathan Marsh. How are you doing, man?
1: Dude, I'm doing awesome. I'm over here in Erie, enjoying the day, enjoying that weather, and enjoying the fall kind of harvest season. It's the best time to be in Erie, man. Best time to be in Erie. Steelheader running, and and I'm going to hit some fly fishing eh, tomorrow morning.
0: man that sounds awesome i mean you guys actually get four seasons right
1: we 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 get yeah like winners like two of them but we get all four sometimes
0: (laughs) yeah you know out here in colorado we got two we got winner and construction Uh, that's it (laughs) yeah you're right and that voice you guys hear this morning is our guest curtis watson curtis how you doing man
2: i'm doing well i'm out here in colorado as well i'm from seattle originally uh you know where we had 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 two seasons nine months of gloom and uh three months of awesomeness uh but uh, i'm getting used to colorado fall where it's a little schizophrenic right now like we had the we had we had some snow last week and it was a high of high of 24 and it was uh, 80 degrees yesterday so yeah getting used to that
0: <laughs> yeah that's our other statement if you don't like the weather here just wait 15 minutes yeah, don't worry it'll be different
2: that's been different.
0: Uh, well, on that note, we, uh, we of course, always take our roadshow to Seattle in those three months. Don't don't kid yourself. That is not a mistake. <laughs> and, hey, guys, if you want to join in with us today, text contact. that's C-O-N-T-E-C-H, to 66866. And if you want to bother the boss man while he's out, you can text or call him on 979-473-9040 with questions for the guests or the crew, and we will follow up with you. And if you haven't tested it out... And you're one of those well dork testers out there, like the rest of us. Just go ahead, give it a shot. We'll actually call you back. And if you leave us a message and uh, it's uh, it's ear for our listeners, then well, you might get on the show. Before we jump in to uh, today's incredible interview, a little word from our sponsor, the ConTech
3: Roadshow. I'm here today. With Arturo Alvarado. Uh, he's actually joining us from the country of Panama. Uh, and he recently came to our Denver roadshow. What do you feel like when you walked away from Denver? What were your big takeaways? Like, what are the things you learned?
4: That I wish I could make the construction technologist decision over here. <laughs> <laughs> I really will. Yeah. <laughs> so, people you w- here need that, man. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. If there's construction, they need it, right? Yeah hundred percent.
0: All right, guys, you're going to have to join us. I mean, the experiences everyone has is amazing. This is the last one's going to be in Dallas, Fort Worth on Tuesday, December 10th. But I got to say, Jonathan, you know, this, but there's going to be a little other event the day after. So I think if you were looking for the construction geekosphere, as uh, David Sombrio calls it to come together in one giant place, that's going to be Dallas on December 10th and 11th, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that this is probably the first event that grew g- grassroots out of construction dorks and construction tech geeks sort of talking online, working together to and, and putting out ideas. And I know Travis Boss has kind of decided to take lead on this one and pull everything together for us. But, man, it looks like it's going to be a heck of a time. And we're going to have some good classes, some good discussion. should be way different than anything you've ever
0: experienced before. That's right. So join us the day before because we are going to get everybody wound up. And now for our interview, Curtis Watson from GTP Services. My man, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Excited to be on the show.
0: Hey, it's us that's excited, excited to have you here, man. You know this show is about technology, yeah. but as we say on stage, it's about people, process, then technology. So we want to get yes. to know a little bit about you. And I'm going to tell you this is a story I'm excited to hear and tell, and help and help have on the show. So why don't you uh, kick us off? How'd you uh, how'd you get to where you are today?
2: A lot of hard work, a lot of mistakes uh you know learning from from some failures. Uh uh but let me just kind of start at the beginning. I feel like a little bit of a unicorn uh you know in the industry. I did not go to school. Um I did not go to college. Well I went to school. Uh you know I went to community college a little bit, but uh I uh followed my dad's footsteps where my father started out as a drafter at 17, uh worked for a consulting engineering company for gosh 45, 50 years, just retired a few years back at, you know, he's 77 now so for me I, I i was highly highly involved in uh l- like my tech ed program um in high school where you know i was taking um, you know drafting classes you know using autocad release 10 release 11 that's why i'm still a typist with my left hand you know but, but whenever i do anything in authoring software um you know i was doing uh 3d studio you know making computer animations where where, uh, I'd have to make computer animations for like the, the uh, TV show for the school, you know, which was super exciting, you know, CNC stuff like that. And, uh, basically, uh, you know, I graduated at 17 and the day after high school, I was, you know, uh, full on suits and collared shirts is 1994, mind you. So where people actually still wore shirts and ties to, uh, work and, uh, you know, making copies, running errands, you know, I was running the, uh, blue line machine. For those of you who remember the smell of the ammonia, you know, I took a lot of pride in, uh, in that technology technology. Uh, and, um, yeah, so I just started kind of working my way up, uh, begged to be a drafter, started drafting, um, eventually, you know, ran a drafting group, um, you know, did, uh, some HVAC mechanical piping and plumbing design. And then back, um, in 2002, I joined the university of mechanical contractors in Seattle, And kind of what I'd like to describe is I went over to the dark side of, uh, of the AEC world where you actually get to, you know, see what you're drawing and designing, get built and really kind of understand that. Uh, uh, I would say just for all of you guys out there that work construction, uh, my language went kind of downhill when I joined construction because, uh, um, it's a different, different environment, (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh but yeah so you know from at UMC I spent you know um nearly 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 17 years there fantastic company um great commitment to technology really honestly had a hard time leaving um cuz I loved the people and 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 was so uh you know had such a great time there but I spent nearly 10 years running the VDC group there bringing in new technologies you know things like that you know trying to trying to keep us on the cutting edge you know up in Seattle Um, you know, everything, it's a very competitive, you know, up there in terms of, uh, of, you know, uh, I would say advancement of virtual construction up there, um, has been, um, on the cutting edge for, you know, for a long time, you know, it's, 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 it's always been at the forefront. Um, and so, uh, I ended up at GTP services because, uh, um, you know, uh, shoot my buddy Ryan Hogan there. Um, um, he and I brought on, um, Stratus. Uh, which is which is which is the program that GTP services um, actually makes and sells. And uh, we were an early adopter. Part of that process was uh, I realized that you know at, at GTP services that they could they could use somebody that uh, has lived the dream, so to speak, and um you know, could speak for mechanical contractors and help to and help to drive the product. And uh, it's been an amazing, um, you know, fun um year for me going around, meeting people all around the country, really getting to learn. I love going around and picking pieces of information from people and putting it in my back pocket and and helping to educate me, you know, and, uh, you know, just learning how, how folks do stuff and, and seeing how technology is changing around the country. It's uh, it's awesome.
0: That is an awesome story. I want to take you back a little bit because you hit on something that we've been talking about and it's been out there quite a bit in the industry, and that's, you know, you had a lot of experience with technical school, you know, with your hands on and what you call the tech ed or where we called the vocational technical, uh, tracks. And we're losing those in our schools and we lost them for a while. It's a partially the reason we have the labor shortage that we deal with right now. Totally. Um, talk to me a bit. There's probably a couple things about that. Like when you went and did that because your dad did what he did, um, it probably wasn't seen to him or you as some alternative deal or some negative. Um, but now, we know that's out there. How did you handle that? I mean, was it that way? What, what was it like for you?
2: Well, it's interesting. I think that's a great question. You know, it didn't seem any different to me. I think I eventually uh, developed kind of a chip on my shoulder about my education just because of, you know, there's this there, there it's culturally. I feel like we have this whole thing about, you know, you have to have gone to to um, a college or a university, you know, um, you know, in order to be an expert in your field. And I, I feel like I've forgotten more than most people know, you mm-hmm. know, about virtual construction. And, and, and I, I think, yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right with uh, people. We really need to value, you know, you know, those, those hands on the making the technology, you know, you see that kid in school who's really interested in either working with their hands or creating or using technology. I, I don't think there's any, I mean, I, I, so I started out as a sophomore. I took a couple, of, a couple of drafting classes, you know, where we were drawing, you know, 2D isometrics, you know, kind of doing projection lines and orthographic projections and stuff. And I just loved it. And eventually by the time that, so kept taking more classes, the teacher's name was Mr. Self, which I thought was awesome. His, um, his name was Merlin, which was honestly, how cool of a name is that? Uh, but he didn't rock the name Merlin. I personally think he should have. Uh, but, uh, but anyways, uh, you know, by the time I got to be a senior, I literally was signed up for like four classes with him all day long. And uh, and his deal with me was like, you can do whatever you want. You can explore whatever technology. Um, you know, there's a CNC machine over there. There's video editing. There's, you know, computer animation. There's, you know, AutoCAD. I just need you once a week to make a new intro for the sports for uh, the uh, new station for the school. I was like, deal, good. And so I basically just got to have my own A little laboratory, honestly. And, you know, the impact that that teacher had on my life is just, like, immeasurable. And the access to all of that technology really sparked an interest for me. And I think that's something that we're missing. You know, um, I don't think a lot of schools have that. I think I was just lucky. I really would like that to be available to, to um, I'd say, more kids. And you kind of spark that interest.
0: Yeah, we, we do. And we have to, you know, we have to pitch it just like you just did. We have to pitch it as like robotic fabrication machines instead of CNC, because anybody yeah. outside of here doesn't really yeah. know what a yeah, CNC exactly. does, you know, outside of our industry is, you know, robotic, robotic fabrication, uh, systems, graphic design, uh, modeling 3d environments. I mean, Jonathan, you can see this, like the tagline is running, right? Absolutely. And
1: Curtis's story is my story too. I mean, right down to it, like same grades in the, in the shop class, just using all the CNC equipment, using all the extra computers. And, you know, I, I think, If we could get some kids to have that sort of autonomy, to have that maker space, because that's really what you had. You had a teacher who's like, I will give you a maker space. You go out and make for me. I think the more we can do that, the more we can push kids and give them all of those things to play with, the more likely we're going to get people like you, Curse. You come into the industry. You already know how to use all the tools. You already kind of understand what needs done. And then you're able to run with it. And really, I would imagine your first job was like mine, where it was just another toy box. You know, is it just oh, yeah. another bunch of things to learn from?
2: Oh, yeah, totally. Um, you know, and I, I do feel a little bit like a unicorn, but I have met some of the smartest folks that I have have ever met in the industry. Again, I'll talk about Ryan Hoggett, you know, um, at UMC, former history teacher. But man, that guy reads and devours information and has a passion. And just because, um, you know, you got a degree in one thing, um, it's it's all about the passion and the interest you know, and wanted to take things forward. It's
1: awesome. I got a weird question for you, man. In your VDC department over that 10 years, who are your superstars? Were they the guys that came out of the industry or were they the guys that came out of sort of the colleges?
2: Both. I mean, it really has to do with like attitude and aptitude, you know, for me. I mean, um, you know, we had a guy there, uh, again, talk about a unicorn. Uh, one of the guys there who, um, has, you know, since retired, but I just, loved working from was Ed Toyoji. He was uh, he was a real, real unique guy where he was a licensed plumber and an engineer. That guy knew about everything that I possibly I, I've I've never met anybody that knows more. But you know, in terms of the success, I mean one of the things is when you're running a VDC department, you know, you're trying to grow people. Like I really prided yeah. myself on growing people. Um, That was kind of my strength, uh, you know, amongst, uh, I mean, you know, know, every manager kind of brings different things to the table. You know, mine was growing people. I like to think of my group as kind of like a manufacturing line where I'm bringing in, you know, younger, greener people that just have a drive and then, you know, teaching them the basics like I did. I, I feel like a lot of my success has to do with the fact that I understood the process from you know, the consulting level all the way through, you know, the installation, you know, and as built. Well, I just tried to find people that were interested in technology and had a passion. I mean, some of the guys that, like, I'd get people out of that had uh, construction management degrees or, you know, construction degrees or mechanical engineering or even engineers weren't necessarily the guys. Guys are gals, you know, and one of my biggest uh, one of people that succeeded the most was a, a guy that was working for Jiffy Lube. You know, he came in, he talked, he was like mechanically minded and I could, you know, I just... I don't know. I felt like I had a really good radar for people, if that makes yep. sense. And man, that guy yeah, within definitely. two years was one of our old school fitter foremen. You know, the guy who is who's going to who's going to, you know, rightfully lecture you on uh, raised face flanges versus, you know, flat flat face flanges, you know, um, on cast iron you know, valves. He was like that guy. I only want to work with him like he is, <laughs> he, like he's the guy. Two years.
1: I was ending up with the same thing, man. I was ending up with like graphic designers and mm-hmm. um, people that used to be cooks and people that used to be chefs that would come in and they'd have like sort of a, a, you know like a, a real desire to learn this. And and within no time at all, they're the ones that are successful because they they don't yeah. seem to have this rep that they have to keep up. So all the foremen totally. are like teaching them everything, and they're not getting upset. They just want to learn, and they suck it all up. And two years later. They're the guys that know how to actually build things. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. It's the guys that like want to know, you know, uh, you know, as you can, as you can see behind me, you know, I'm, I'm kind <laughs> of a geek, you know what I mean? A little bit. You know, so I got, I got <laughs> like, I like one of the things that I like and I find important for myself and for other people is, you know what, if you're passionate about, I'm passionate about a lot of things. Like I love star Wars. I love Legos. I love sports. I love the Seahawks go Hawks. Uh, you know, and I love music and, uh, and I really like people that just want to geek out about stuff unabashedly. You know what I mean? Like, like let your geek flag fly. Right. And so, uh, you know, I liked those guys that were just totally like jazzed up about stuff, guys and gals, you know, that are just like, this is cool. Like I'm, I'm excited about going to work. Like this is totally, this is the coolest thing ever. Have you seen this? Like, I, you know, for me, I I can remember when we first started doing hanger fabrication at UMC, we were like, we were really, really starting to prefab all of our hangers and, you know, even on slope piping and you know, really trying to get it down to the gnats, you know, so to speak, um, you know, and, and and nailing that. I remember when I finally, you know, cracked that nut, you know, I felt like I was running around the office. Like I had just like gotten my you know A plus from the teacher. Right. I'm like, this is the yeah. coolest thing ever. Look at this. We can do this. We can adjust for the size of the bangers. You know, like, dude, this is, this is chill. Like we can start cutting all of our hanger and all of our hanger fab and, you know, just the passion, the excitement, you don't want to see somebody in the corner, just sitting there like hating their job. Right.
1: Oh yeah. And if you have a culture in your company that's excited about that, I I can remember getting texts at like 10 30, 11 30, 12 30 at night where someone figured something out and they're like, so freaked out that they need to tell you right now that they just figured out how to automate you know how to automate rod length in Revit. Somebody figured it out. I remember it was yeah. like 11:30. Like, dude, I got it. I got yeah. it. I figured it out. And that yeah. excitement's what really drives these companies that end up being the best companies.
0: If your culture's that way, you're going to succeed. And I have to jump in because being the IT nerd and the only IT geek at a company for a while, I would have those moments and have to run around until I found. I had this one estimator who could kind of fake that he understood what I was doing. I mean, yeah. he was like the geek before nice. me, yeah. and, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be running around the office, and of course, my IT dork automation was like, oh, yeah, I automated uh, the process of onboarding, or you know, uh, these jobs would run for us, and then they'd clean up, and they'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, Curtis, you killed it, because we did have a question come in about, I think those are Funko toys behind you there, yeah, um, about pops. what is going on.
2: Yeah. They're Funko pops. So, uh, um, uh, so in Seattle, um, uh, so these things, believe it or not, are like giant around the world. They're just little bobbleheads, And, uh, where I lived in Seattle, I lived, lived up in Snohomish, which was, um, right next to where, uh, their headquarters was like their like their master store. So, um, I got to just go in and grab, grab stuff. They got them for everything. So, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of Star Wars, got my uh, Game of Thrones uh, for those out you, out there that know Rick and Morty for there, um, as well as like I got my Kurt Cobain and my Bobby Wagner and uh, huh. Russell Wilson. So, yeah, they do it for like not only just like, you know, um, uh, you know, like sci fi stuff and comic books, but, you know, they do it for, uh, you know, sports and music and you get like a whole kiss set, you know, it's uh, so, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fun.
0: Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Hey, before we continue on though, guys, I got to, I got to take a break here and uh, let one of our sponsors talk again. And that's right. It's the road show guys. Come see us on December 10th. And uh, you heard there's a little event the day after, but you do not want to miss it. We're going to have an incredible panel, incredible speakers, lots of energy. We were just there yesterday or two days ago in Chicago. So we're bringing the final stop. And you guys know the final stop is where it all goes down.
3: Again, I'm here with Arturo Alvarado from the country of Panama. He's a project manager, a builder, he's a drone guy. Tell me about drones, uh, and you, you're heavily involved in them for surveying. Is this a technology that's really important to you into construction?
4: For me, personally, as an architect, project manager, it is. it was a big eye-opener. I mean, it's the first time I actually get to see 3D models. Also, uh, throughout the Contact Roadshow, I was shown different ways in which to apply this technology. You guys explored the, like facial recognition for security features. Um, Well, yeah, it's not for surveying, also for project security, also for project um, progress.
3: Yep, progress Um, monitoring, percent complete calculation. All right, Arturo, should the Contact Roadshow come to the country of Panama?
4: I wish you guys would. I really would. Uh, I think a lot of people get shocked out of their socks. I mean, overall, the entire experience, uh, I wouldn't change it. I would repeat it as soon as I could. Uh, It really was worth my while. 100%. I would strongly recommend it to anybody interested in this field.
3: Outstanding.
0: All right, guys. We look forward to seeing you there in Dallas. And back to Curtis. Now, Curtis. You had a long run and we were kind of joking beforehand about uh, some made up titles, I would call it, but I don't, I don't really think it's that. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's more a show of the progression of the industry and how you've joined and progressed through UMC and and now you're headed off to GTP. And I want you to tell guys a little bit about the folks listening a little bit about what that's about, but in the terms of like, what's the future of this industry, you've kind of been on the cutting edge and been in the evolutionary edge and you know, I love the titles, guys, you know, because if you notice with BIM and VDC, there's there's no single set of titles. It's just sort of uh, evolved.
2: Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, look at my title now. I'm the director of customer success, which feels like the most made up title ever, uh, which <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> but, you know, my goal is to make customers successful. Right. So like, hey, just kind of plan out what you know, name it what you want to do. Right. Uh, you know, like, we were pretty big um, on, like, mission statements and, like, defining, like, what you're doing so that you can go back and and just kind of go, was what I'm doing right now kind of serving my core function? Like, is it really, like, is that my goal, right? Am I not, am I just totally off the rails? But, yeah, talk about made-up titles, though. I mean, like, BIM Services Manager, Virtual Construction Services Manager, uh, Virtual Construction Service Operations Manager, which really the job was the same. I just, re- we just restructured. Um, because, uh, you know, I managed probably 25 direct reports at one point and let's all, let's all be pretty frank here. Like you can only know what like seven people are doing on a daily basis and the rest Absolutely. are like hoping and praying. Right. And so at some point I'm like, this is just unsustainable. Like I need to, I need to like, you know, I need to, 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 to basically, um, you know, break up the group with, you know, managers, you know, um, amongst other, you know, uh, you know, like sheet metal plumbing and piping, you know, and, and things like that. So that's, that's, ultimately what I did, but, uh, uh, but talking about geeking out though. So for me here, here's, here's the biggest thing. Like I, I have been, um, you know, uh, working with Fabrication Academy P, you know, for, for an awful, awful long time, you know, made a lot of databases really, really, really comfortable. Um, you know, that's, that's like my, my thing. I love the data rich models, right? Like there's just all this stuff. UMC, one of the things I'm really, really, really proud of is UMC, you know, had a fully cost and labor loaded database, right? It was our estimating system. So, you know, we draw a model, design, build, work, you know, you could always at any point in time, you know, kick that model over to estimating and start getting information out of it. So the thing that I found to be just a travesty in our industry is like, no disparaging remarks against Bluebeam here, but Bluebeam is just a PDF, right, folks? Come on, like you're managing paper, uh, paper you know, in a digital environment. You're still managing paper. And so the thing that frustrated me so much is like, okay, I've got like a hundred points of data here in this model. I've got cost, I got labor, I got, um, fabrication factors. I've got all sorts of just great stuff. Well, I only have time to put out two pieces of that information and put it on a paper. So the other 98 fields there, all their other, other 98 data points, they're just, they're just gone to the ether. And it, it just, I found it to be. Um, very, very frustrating. So, um, you know, Todd Libby, uh, who's the president, you know, um, here at GTP services came by and did a demo and, you know, Todd's heard me say this before. So this is not, not, disparaging is that like when he came to the demo, uh, I think the wifi was, you know, like it was really early on in Stratus and it wasn't necessarily the greatest demo, you know, things weren't quite working, you know, that day, cause this was really early on in the product, you know, and, uh, But man, the passion and the vision and kind of the roadmap, I was like, this guy's got it. Like this guy knows what, this guy has a vision for this. And I, and I, and I really wanted UMC to be involved in it. And, you know, I wanted to be involved. And the thing that I like about Stratus in particular, not to sound like a sales guy, I'm not a sales guy, is it is the only tool out there that I know of that takes your model digitally all the way out to the tooling. Like never once does it hit paper. And I like to use. I wrote an article on LinkedIn about this um, uh, sometime earlier in the year, where I talked about data loss in BIM. Have you guys ever played the telephone game as a kid? Oh, absolutely, you know what I mean? Te- absolutely. You know the telephone game, you know where you're like, hey, you know, you whisper like, you know, you know, Johnny likes bugs, and by the end of it, it's like, you know, Johnny's murdered his grandma. You know, it's like it's totally different. Uh, <laughs> and so you're like, oh, that didn't. I don't know how that happened. And uh, and so I talk about how, oh, you create this digital model. And then what happens is, you know, we got to spend, I like to use the kind of the terminology of like 20% of your, uh, 20% of your, uh, of your VDC budget gets you to 80% done. And then like 80% gets you that last 20% of, of, of like school drawings and deliverables with the traditional process, you know, somebody has to then pull dimensions. They have to, you know, you know, they've got to, you know, correct some things in the bill of material. They got to go do this. And even with dimensioning tools and some automation that people do put in there, there's some really intelligent people out there who do, you know, do scripting and they do dynamo or they do other things that help with automation. But I mean, if you're old school, some of these companies where they're pulling dimensions, did they pull it from like, what are doing? A victolic, uh, if you're doing a victolic system, did they pull it to the, to the, to the end of the pipe or to the other side of the uh, coupling point of data loss? When they uh, get that piece of paper in the shop and they walk over to like a watts pipe server and they key in the information who's to say that guy is 100% accurate that day and he didn't fat finger uh you know you know you know fat finger something into the into the tooling the thing about stratus that I love is your model never goes analog until the pipe is physically cut um and you know the data is like there's no there's no room for a human error uh you know so to speak stratus is like the great aggregator of of the database that is your model it's the great slicer and dicer um, democratization of data we like to say you don't have to choose the two data points you get access to all 98
0: we gotta start thinking about in that process there that you know data is currency now for us so if we form that formulate that as you know every time you go to digital or go to paper, you just, it's like taking 20, 80 cents out of your dollar that you were carrying in your pocket, you're just dropping them on the shop floor as you walk through. So just like, imagine every time you print, you're not just printing with paper. You're not just going to paper. You're actually like throwing money away. Oh, totally. Uh, a lot of that, by the way, Curtis, made very little sense to me at some points, and I'm catching up to you guys, but I know it made a lot of sense to Jonathan, and I know he wants to ask you some more questions.
1: Curtis, I, I think what you said is really important. For like the VDC leads, for the managers, we know how much data is actually in that model, and almost no one else knows it. I think that's the biggest frustration we have is we know how data-packed our models are. When they're asking us for dimension drawings, we're like... We have a model. We know exactly how big all the pipe is. We know how all the joints go together. We know how all the connectors are. And it's so frustrating. And I know when I saw Stratus, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I can communicate the data to this model down to everyone that needs it, and they can get just the data they need. And, and it it blew me away, too. I think that 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 the reason you see so many people that were the head of EDC moving off trying to find these softwares that do that is because we're the only one that understands how data-rich that model is. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned something that I thought was awesome. You said that you would use Stratus sort of way outside the box, just way, that. way outside the box. And I love that. I think that, like, that is an example of how dynamic products can be is when someone just uses it for something almost completely different. Although in this case, there's a lot of parallels to what we can do with it in, in other areas outside MEP. Was it like, was it your, your mantle for your, your fireplace? Tell us about that. That was, that was an awesome story.
2: We just moved from Seattle. Right. So uh, you know, my, my fireplace is, is like just, you know, it's got a drywall mantle, so to speak. So, Going back to Strat, I'll tie this together here. So going back to Stratus is, you know, Stratus does not care. Uh, is it is it ITMs out of CAD, ITMs out of out of you know Revit, RFAs. Um, it does not care. It, it doesn't care if it's pipe. It doesn't care. Like you can use it for anything. If you can if you can count it, quantify it, um, you know, uh, you can do things with it. And I kind of wanted to prove it to myself as well as you know put it to good use. So my wife, God bless her, wanted a wants a rustic mantle. Uh, you know, with a surround and, you know, the whole thing. And I'm like, you know what? I plan everything out, right? My dad used to get out a piece of paper and, you know, because he was a hand drafter back in the day and would like draw out everything. We'd have plans, we'd have a bill of materials. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to draw this in, in AutoCAD. And I used um, basically a structural slab ITM that I used uh, and turned it into like boards. You know, where I I was just looked at lumber specs and was like, okay, uh, you know, um, you know, like pine is this thick. It comes in these shapes. Go ahead. That way I could draw with those things. Uh, I used Stratus to create work packages for me to plan it all out. I got myself cut lists and, uh, you know, I'm I'm off and running, um, you know, using using what is a, you know, a sheet metal plumbing and piping, uh, you know, Uh, construction manufacturing logistics platform to uh, help me build my mantle so that my wife will be happy at Christmas time when we hang the stockings.
1: And when I got off the phone with you, all I could think of was DFMA. I was like, okay, so we're doing mechanical now. We're talking to the machines well. And now you just kind of put that little that little kink in there of saying, OK, well, let's just add some some new materials. Let's add some new things that we can do to it. And, and what do you see like as the evolution of Stratus goes? Do you see it doing some some design for manufacturing and assembly and some pods and things like that? And really, really just stretching beyond what what you see there now, because you. when you go into that platform and look, you can see all those things. It's just just a little step there.
2: Oh yeah, we are like, like we're already, um, you know, tackling and, and we it's only going to be better, but in terms of the way that we do pods, um, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming you mean pods, not just, uh, um, you know, your, your typical multi-trade rack, you know, in a hospital, but you're talking like a full built out, you know, um, hospital room with head, what with head wall and, and, you know, the bathroom and things. So, uh, you know, we, I was at, um, um, a construction technology trade show down, um, um in the Dallas area um at the first of the year and I was talking with um one of the competitors for um I think Unistrat. You know they've had an interesting product. I'm like this is cool like we can you know we can you know if you can if you have the content either RFAs or ITMs I mean what you can do with this uh you know what you, you can count you know you could you could you could count all of the strut that you needed to do. Well, you know what I was talking to an architect I'm like you could count tiles Like if you've got a, you know, a wall family that you can, you can measure the, you know, uh, the studs and the JIP board and then, and then uh, figure out the tiling on it, man, there's no reason why you can't count that, um, quantify it, you know, and get that and basically, you know, help that you know, help that creation of that pod. I like to use the term agnostic. It's not not incredibly accurate, but, you know, Stratus uh, doesn't know, doesn't care about what you're putting into it. So with the mantle, what I was trying to prove out is it really is only, it's only limited by your imagination. So we could totally bring together, um, you know, multi-trades, Um, together to create a manufacturing solution for uh, hotel rooms hospital rooms you know things that you can modularize
1: yeah i i gotta say in my mind one of the things that i thought was really cool about it is it looked like you guys were forming a platform to really do all of the secondary build like from bim to your platform to the rest of the build so i i was i was like super impressed man it kind of pushed me over the top i was looking into it for another Mm -hmm. two hours after we stopped talking
0: Uh, You got to love that when Jonathan runs down the rabbit hole from those conversations. That's why you go to shows, guys, whether whoever's putting them on, go to shows, have these conversations. That's where the rabbit hole starts. And um, it's how the rest of the artful use cases that we've always joked about, Jonathan, get done. So, um, hey, Curtis, any last words for everybody before we uh, wrap up and move over into our technology news, which you will come along with us? Uh, Anything last you want to say to everybody?
2: No, I mean, uh, well, we'll we'll just I'm going to just plant a seed for maybe next time I could come on is uh, I want to help push the industry to truly paperless. And it's really interesting. uh, What I find to be our biggest hurdle is the institutionalization, if you will, of paper. There's no real reason why you can't go paperless. Well, except for the fact that I actually have to submit drawings to King County because they want to get them in uh, the plumbing permit drawings. So what I mean by institutionalization is Everybody has to be on board from the consultants to the permit reviewers to, you know, the state and you know, state, county and in and, and federal. So we have all the tools. We need to start convincing everybody around us to follow along. So just put just planting that seed for future conversations. This has been a blast, guys. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh yeah, it's great. And hey, on a plug on that, there is a group out there. That's near and dear to my heart, the Construction Progress Coalition, and they are actually working with municipalities with that. Let's just call it that government entity side that is classically a little bit behind and we need to move them forward. Although I think when we get to our news, you'll understand why they're a little bit trepidatious about trusting this group of people. So I wish we had more time, but it's time to wrap up and talk about the construction technology news of the week. Before we jump into it, a little word from David Sombrio about our new sponsor, Construction Dive.
3: Can't wait until next week for more ConTech news from
1: the ConTech crew? Get your fix from Construction Dive. Construction Dive has the scoop on the Construction Tech news all day, every day. Stop by constructiondive.com slash crew to get the latest construction news into your inbox. Again, it's com slash C-R-E-W for when you just can't wait for the next episode of the contact crew to know what's going on in the construction geekosphere.
0: Well, thank you for that, David. And Jonathan, that nice segue into your first article, sir.
1: Yeah, my first article is, of course, about the collapse of the hard rock this last week. I think that's probably the biggest news in construction right now is that that we have had a major collapse. This doesn't happen very often. And I was reading through articles, and CBS News has this article. starts out, this is seriously bad. Video purports to show concerns days before the hard rock collapses in New, New Orleans. And then I started to watch the video. And I got to say, if you've been on a job site and you've been them been, and seen them pour concrete, onto some of this decking that is, is becoming less and less um, secure, it, it's starting to look scary. And this video looked very scary to me. Um, but I think what the story was, in, in my mind, was I think more and more often, um, even though we have all these ways of reporting safety videos, you know, we have photos, we have videos, we have iPhones, everything like that, we're still not getting those to the people that can make real change you know safety is a huge concern for all of us in this case you know it was a true tragedy and we lost we lost workers we lost people in that and we injured countless and it's still a very dangerous situation in that they have two cranes that are going to have to be demolished in some safe way in order to not cause additional damage or put additional lives at risk so i thought it was a really important article to talk about i think that if if you haven't looked into that tragedy, it's it's important if you're in construction, if you're conscious of safety, look at it and, and take very seriously when you see a problem on a job site. We need to get those things reported. Did you guys hear about that a lot this week?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was unfortunate one of the topics of discussion. And, you know, there's lots of speculation out there about, you know, how far apart the bracing was laid out. And even you can hear that in some of the video from the one you're talking about. You know, for me, it hit on, um, I've been told a few times, you know, because we have this dichotomy, we were, you know, we were talking about this with Curtis, you know, we need to change the way the schools look at us. We need to change the way the industry is portrayed. And then I'll be told, well, Hey, you, you can't be talking about this stuff and want to do those two things. Well, okay. Cause we got to clean up our act, right? They, they don't trust us to go digital cause we're doing it paper and things are still happening. And, you know, Josh Bone likes to say it. One death is one too many for our industry. And until we get there, no one can tell us to stop talking about it. And it is those guys should have been able to not only report that and have that information get there, but they should have been able to and been pulled from that project and had that intervention earlier. know, I'm guessing more supports um, earlier could prevent the collapse. There's a way to prevent this from continuing to happen, even when it's wrong, And then, yeah, it's probably not fun to go back through what change order or whatever is going to take to fix it, but that's a lot better than what's about to happen.
1: Yeah, I've noticed with all the speculation, almost most of it was legitimate. Like most of the things they're bringing up and speculating about are safety issues in and of themselves. Even if they didn't cause this situation, they were safety issues that were ultimately ignored. You were telling us about um, safety culture, Curtis, before we we started this. What's your take on this?
2: I'm appalled to say the least, um, the former company that I worked at UMC, I mean, like we were, you know, last time I checked, they were a year and a half without a recordable and every employee was empowered to essentially walk off. I mean, that would not have been tolerated. Um, I can't, I, it, it disturbs me like the culture that of of there, apparently just, just from, I mean, just from what we've seen of kind of ignoring the warning signs that, uh, the dollar is, you know, in more important, uh, than the life and, and, um, you know, companies, you know, companies like UMC, you know, value their people and, um, you know, really empower them to do so. And it's hard to explain, but, you know, I would say that about eight or nine years ago, UMC was having some problems with recordables and we tried things like, Uh, you know, prizes and stuff like that. But until we affected the culture and the buy-in of like, we care about you as a person and we're empowering you as a person, the culture didn't change until that point. And, and uh, you know, it's a cultural thing and it's, 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 it's sad to see the, you know, what happens, Uh, you know, this is an example of what happens when, when people are trying to cut corners or, 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 are pushing to meet schedules without, without caring about the ramifications of their actions.
0: Yeah. I don't know which one of it was of you two that said, you know, no pencil whip in a JSA is the day after that. That's an important piece. Like just filling out the quote unquote paperwork don't matter if it's digital. Doesn't matter if it's on a, on a, on a clipboard. If it's a pencil whip, it's not helping
1: and and we can't dismiss safety concerns on a job site they just can't be dismissed they have to each be you know taken as a serious thing and and i and i i hope that that one of the few things that can come out of this tragedy is is just a better understanding of of, of how important it is to to take all of this digital information that we're gathering on safety and really use it Um, You know if we're not using it, it doesn't really help us.
0: That's one of those things if that we're seeing that phone now Right, because the building did collapse Maybe you know what if that was like three other buildings and it's never made it there Like that could be a failure of and I'm speculating guys So this is not I do not know anything about this But that could be that the video is only surfacing because of what happened So, you know, you could have a contractor that's got that information. That's not flowing it. That's not you know This is where technology can help. I mean I didn't want to be the one to jump on it, but before I let you hit the next one, I mean, we're sending, we were sending search and rescue in to find those people. If we were using tracking devices on those people, we wouldn't have been sending them because we're sending them into a really dangerous space that could continue to collapse. If it's already started, it could continue. So we would at least know where we're sending them. And I think that's, that's an important piece that technology does have a role to play here. And there's a real reason it's collecting that information at real time. Again, this video is great afterwards to know that there was a problem, but maybe they never had it beforehand.
1: Yeah. And, and beyond that, you know, I mean, we are getting to the point where we can start to monitor this, the the structures themselves. And I've seen examples of that. You know, we're, we're getting to the point where the technology is going to start to to be a part of the building and the building itself. A smart building can warn us when there's a problem. And I, I think I'm going to skip ahead to. Because I think that ties really good into this article that came out on Tile. If you haven't used a Tile, Tile is a, a small tracking device. They're relatively inexpensive. They've been around for years. Um, Chris, you talked about CADMAP. You remember yeah. the little uh, fobs we lose? Oh, they cost yeah. us a 1000 bucks. Oh, yeah. I, I tiled all the fobs because I didn't want to lose them. But Tile's come out, and they've they made some changes. Now they have some stickers. Now they have some smaller ones. They've increased the range to about 200 feet. But the really cool thing for construction is not just the tiles, but the way that Tile talks. Tile uses what's called a community network. What that means, guys, is that your phone running Bluetooth becomes the network that alerts the location where these tiles are at. And we all know the construction site is no place for connectivity. It has a lot of steel, it has a lot of concrete, it has all these problems. But if some of this community networking were to catch on in the construction industry, that means that every time a worker walks by with his phone or with his device or or Jeff with that Apple Watch, he's sort of detecting that. So we have sort of these these, these walking routers going around our job site. And that's what this article meant to me. It was just the fact that, that so many companies are starting to use this community networking idea and construction hasn't quite got there yet. But, you know, I mean, in terms of asset tracking, people tracking safety, I mean, even just what they're doing with tiles, if you want an inexpensive solution, maybe even just tile is the way to go for a little while. What do you guys think?
0: Well, I mean, I think crowdsource is the way that we're going to get to where we want to get with autonomous cars. You know, they they using all the sensors available for them to talk to one another. Everybody used to think we'd have to map the world, you know, and like and try and find every line on the on the ground before they painted it or after they painted it, et cetera. And that's that's not how it's going to be. And so talk about a living, breathing, communicating crowdsource job site where everybody knows where everybody is. For a safety perspective, I mean, we, we've we got to talk about that, but then also an efficiencies perspective. Yeah, where's that tool? Where's, hey, this person just walked by on this floor and that's where your pile and everybody's getting on the job site trying to find it or somebody picked up, you know, I love those rolling carts because you can move them out of your way. But those cards can roll away so you can find it. There's a lot to that. And I'll tell you, Jonathan, I know I'd love to, to, you know, get Curtis's take on this too, but you know, there's this idea of transparency is a bad thing and us sharing information. And this really would push past that boundary of, of sharing. But I think transparency and sharing is actually where the power is.
1: I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that if we start to view the job site as a community, that's going to work with one another. To the, towards that goal of making this build safer, faster, more efficient. I mean, I think that's perfect. And I, you know, I know Curtis over there at Stratus. You guys are looking at ways of, of kind of watching the the status of all the yeah. installations. And again, if if we could use some community have have a little tile sticker there, and when the guy walks Hold away it. from the tile sticker, that's in place. You yeah, know, what totally. do you think?
2: Uh, you guys have kind of stolen my thunder there because I was thinking the same same darn things <laughs> yeah. there. But what an incredibly valuable thing. Like I don't like I've tried to get I've tried to get Wi-Fi out on job sites and you go down three stories in a parking garage and it's it's, you know, a black hole of 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 Wi-Fi. There's nothing there. But, you know, you know what you guys just said there about, um, you know, for one, you know, there's the transparency of who's where you know the safety aspect i was thinking about that is but not only get the benefit of all of the connectivity and basically building for lack of a better term like that mesh network you know you know essentially but you know you also are able to get um you know you're able to you know f- you know find people locate them as well as um you know what we're doing with stratus right now we're on qr codes uh, you know hoping to move to rfid tags or to something like tile where you know, one of the biggest things that we have, uh, 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 one, of, one of the most common, common questions that I can, can remember, you know, from my construction days is like, hey, did that material show up on site? I don't know. <laughs> you know, where is it at? Uh, hey, man, if that thing has not only a way to prove, you know, to track it, like we're doing with QR codes now with Stratus, but not only track it with Stratus get it to the job site, have it have some sort of connectivity that we can locate and if that connectivity also adds to the bandwidth of the job site, I mean, talking about killing three birds with one stone, fantastic.
1: I think that once we start to see that make it onto a few job sites, I think it's just going to blossom really really fast. I think there's some things that people worry about, you know, they worry about people monitoring what they're working on, but I think these passive systems they aren't they aren't that intrusive, you know? so I, I really like these versus the cameras and some of the other thing
0: You could put geotagging on it, too. So like ge- or geofencing. And you could even make it, and I think I'm giving away an app here idea, so maybe I shouldn't do this. but yeah. <laughs> um a single application that goes on all phones on single job sites because, you know, it's a general contractor. There's different specialty contractors, trade contractors, suppliers that are coming on and off so they get it installed as part of the deal and it's you know has its own you know this job site and that's geofenced and as soon as they walk on that phone now has the capability to talk to the network and hit all of these devices and send it to a central repository where everybody can pull whether that be stratus whether that be safety whether that be any other piece and you've created that community network but you've also geo you know geofenced it so when they leave that that app shuts down and it no longer does that and if you steal yeah, that have... idea you better give me some of that uh, uh-huh. that good old cashola
1: <laughs> i think that's important i think leaving the job site and having it turned on oft is a important thing for privacy and i think we have to be conscious um, of 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 them as individuals and their need for privacy and try to try to make sure that that's part of our calculation when we're looking at safety and all these other things so i'm going to i'm going to dial this way back in terms of, of level of tech with the next article, which is this is the 100th year celebration anniversary of the hard hat. Hard hats have been around for 100 years. New York Times ran an article, the evolution of the hard hat where they, it is, this is a really cool article. If you get a chance, just go through and read it. It starts out with sort of the idea of the hard hat and where it is as it's coming into um, the U.S. And I didn't realize this. Did you realize that OSHA has not, re- They started requiring the hard hat in 1970, 1970. That's like, that seems like that's not that long ago. Maybe I'm too old, but that's like, you would think that it's been required for a lot longer. Um, And the other thing the article pointed out, and, and they said, basically, hard hat technology has not changed dramatically in 100 years. If you went back to the 70s, when they put on the first hard hats, and you looked at the hard hats of today, there's very little difference in how they're put together. And even the first hard hat, which is in the article, it looks really cool, um, uses the same basic idea of suspending a shell off of someone's head. And, and I will tell you, I've been on job sites and I have had my hard hat hit by numerous items. And I'm just gonna assume that every item that has ever touched my hard hat would have been an injury. So I mean, even personally, this particular piece of tech has saved me from injury multiple times. Curtis, how many how many hits do you think you've had on your hard hat over the years?
2: Oh, I mean, uh, several from you know walking in interstitial spaces and jamming the front of my head on some unistrat that certainly would not have uh, either felt good or, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would have had injuries. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's a crucial piece. I mean, it saved me many times.
1: Yeah. What they did talk about at the very end of the article, which I thought was cool and we're seeing it in football. Really. I, I sometimes wonder if the football is the reason we're going to see better hard hats is they are starting now to decide, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to take hard hats a little more seriously. We're going to put in some foam, Um, I know that we've all seen some add-ons to the hard hat, like, you know, the HoloLens has been on a hard hat in HoloLens 1. And in HoloLens 2, you know, you look and you can see some prototype hard hats that are built to incorporate that tech. But, you know, we look at the amount of tech that we have now, and then we look at the average hard hat on a job site, which is plastic and relatively easy to produce and and relatively cheap. And we go, what tech should we be adding to that hard hat to, to supplement? You know, should we have... A, a little monitor in there in case the hard hat gets hit so that at the end of the day, we can say, hey, we noticed, you, you know, your hard hat had a bang. What what happened? That didn't actually get reco- recorded. So I thought it was a cool article. I think that mm-hmm. the idea of looking at hard hats and how they can evolve is important. And the fact that they haven't evolved much over a hundred years means that it's a real opportunity, especially with the tech that's out there now to, to get some, 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 some growth there. You know, I mean, in football, there. Their their helmets change all the time and on our hard hats on the job site look like they did a hundred years ago. You know, that's scary.
0: Yeah, we really so. do need to update them, Jonathan. And and I like that they talked about some of the mountain climber wear, hockey player stuff, the kids. I love your idea too of the NFL. I think the NFL and the and the construction industry could really help each other there from an impact perspective and a usability and, and view perspective. Um, because you you also need, I mean, we, we see some of those long brim hard hats. And I'm like, no wonder you're getting hit out of the corner. You can't, you have no peripheral. So could we increase peripheral and can it set us up later as my tech geekedness? You know, some of those mountain climber ones are easier, uh, have more view to put a AR headset on that you could slide down out of place. It gives you a little more sleekness. You know, half the time I think you guys are hitting your heads and I'm always hitting my head because I don't realize, cause I don't wear it that often. I don't realize how much extra clearance I need for my dome when I put that thing on yeah <laughs> right like human it takes I'm sure the the guys who are wearing them all the time this helps but this is about bringing you know new people in new ideas and it'd be cool to see us iterate on that a bit and I love the you know of course the XR10 you're talking about from Trimble coming in to really change the world Jonathan thank you for your news I'm gonna jump into mine because we're uh we're having a great day here and and I'm just gonna straight up start with This will be a quick one, but slow payments cost GCs and subs $64 billion. Study finds 51-day average payment turnaround. For those of you listening, I will be out at the CFMA next week at the Ohio Valley. And one of the the most interesting things that came out of CFMA last year for me at their annual uh, convention was, you know, 75% of all companies that – go bankrupt are profitable at the time they go bankrupt. That's because they can't carry the debt that they're carrying at the moment and slow payments cost a lot. I'm yeah. sure all of you look at that, Curtis, you, you can't oh, even yeah. not. I want it. I want
2: right to just chime in here. Like this is just killing me. Uh, this is killing me. Cause, uh, that's the biggest, uh, one of the biggest challenges that we had not to take this back to Stratus, but I'm gonna is, uh, is, uh, You know, like one of the, you know, in the world we live in with prefabrication, right? Everything's prefabbed. GCs don't want to pay for it until it's hanging. Well, you know what? We've sunk, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into prefab so that we can make ourselves more efficient. You know, things like Stratus, where you're able to actually show statuses of things, you know, help you take pictures, help you be able to communicate you know to the gc that like yeah i've sunk cash into this it's time that you need to pay um you know but it's 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 a burden that mechanical contractors um specialty contractors are having to carry right now is uh, especially with the fact that you're you're spending all of that money beforehand with your prefabrication um it's it's a huge challenge
0: well and i mean yeah. this doesn't even go into that but josh bone was talking about it on stage yesterday or two days ago it feels like yesterday uh two days ago about you know, if they make a design change and we've already pushed ahead in the prefabrication, now you've prefabricated and used material that's going to go to waste. Like the visibility has to be there. And, you know, I'm a big truth and transparency and the transparency from owner all the way into trade contractor doing prefabrication needs to be there. I mean, that's Jonathan to your DFMA before. That's why we need suppliers. We need trade contractors. GC's and owners all at the table with the architects and the engineers discussing and having a transparent piece because they need to know at the moment that the decision is made, we are possibly moving forward and prefabricating in our facilities in order to meet the schedules that you've given us. So you need to know the impact of that change. And also, I mean, because the job site is moving away from the job site. The The pay applications and the payment process has to evolve with it or this stuff is not going to be sustainable. And in the end, it's going to cost us all more money. And that's, I mean, that's the key to it. you see, right? Some of the stuff they're talking about in here. Yeah, we owners already know and GCs already know that some trade contractors are yanking up their prices because they don't get paid on time. That's not really going to fix the problem, guys. The problem is going to be fixed when we do something like ILD, where we're all at the table earlier. We're designing for manufacturing. I mean, I had not understood and couldn't pick this sword up until this is really funny, Curtis, because it was Ryan Hogan who said it on this show during his episode. And I've, I've wanted to say this throughout the process. If you have not listened to Ryan's, uh, podcast with us, you should listen to this and then immediately go pull it up. Because he talked in there about understanding labor in VDC and BIM as part of rework. We have to look at this as rework. That costs money. I mean, it's not killing our budgets like people think that BIM and VDC is killing our budgets. But it is ultimately having an effect. And one of our largest effect is labor cost. And you have to understand that when you make these changes at the wrong time, even if I have to redraw it, that's rework. And he said that and it went... (sighs) For me. <laughs>
1: yeah. And and that's that last eighty percent you were talking about. You spent twenty percent doing the model and then eighty percent communicating it out. If we can keep like if we can do use something like Stratus where we're keeping it digital, some of those changes at the last minute. You know, don't cost us what they would cost us if I'm producing 900 drawings versus I'm changing a model. The model was going to go direct to my okay. manufacturing anyways. I mean, it really mitigates some of those costs. But until, you know, I, I always thought that construction's kind of like this free loan. This no, this free loan to build your build building because when the building's up, we're probably not even paid yet for the building that you already own. You get like this free loan off of the contractor. It's, it's driving me nuts through the years too.
0: Right. It instead of charging more inside, what you should do, Jonathan, is bank yourself and charge a finance charge on top of it outside of <laughs> X days.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: Absolutely. Although let's 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 try and be really crazy and draw things together. If we were doing what we're talking about with items like tile, with that Bluetooth network, with that crowdsourcing. If we could then take that data lake we're creating and we could push it back towards the model and the contract, and it was in some sort of say, oh, I don't know, some smart contract format. And then it could issue payments based on reality because it's trust and verify, but it's now been verified by the crowdsource and that issues. So I not only say it's done, the crowd has sourced that it is done. The payment gets placed and it get, and gets issued and it gets issued faster and everybody wins. I know there's people out there shaking right now. I might have to watch out behind my door. The ninjas of the other side may come and, and cut me down. But, you know, there's a possibility here, guys, and we gotta move forward. We haven't. This problem has been talked about for years. It hasn't changed much from what when Rabbit did this original study. Um, used to be contract simply. You know, it's just gone up. So the problem's getting worse because we're doing the same thing and expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. Yeah. You've heard us say it many a times. We got to, got to, got to change.
2: Well, to chime in there, uh, you know, uh, on that conversation with Ryan Hogan, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges is, in, is um, uh, just to have your own company or your own PMs understand the cost, like the cost of something. You know, we specifically called it virtual construction because we were trying to get across the point of, yeah, we're virtually building your building. We're choosing materials. We're we're we're, we're choosing means and methods. We're putting this together and that like when you decide that you want to go from cast iron to PVC, would you ever do that to the guy in the field? Go, hey, man, why don't you go out there, give it a go with some PVC. And, hey, I may later ask you to rip it out and put in cast iron, but, you know, no change. But just like get started. Would you ever do that to a guy in the field? Yet culturally, we routinely do that to our virtual construction groups. And just to chime in one last thing there with Stratus, one of the things that I really love about Stratus is – when you drop the saw on a tiger stop or a pipe server, the model instantly knows that that pipe has been cut. So the fact is, you can put that information because the because tra- a lot of times you're trying to put it in front of the PM so they know exactly where things are because sometimes they don't actually take the time to look about what the change orders they have no idea where the where the job site is where the prefab is so they write a they, they write the impact of it and pretty soon you know you call them up and you're like. Yeah, actually, we had we had cut that. He's like, "Oh man, I already submitted that." Like, crap. Yeah, you know, you, we oh. could get rid of we could get rid of some of those issues.
1: Yeah, we really could. I think that's right, and I think to realize Jeff's vision, I think all we really need is to reach that threshold of data points. We keep adding data points to all this, and as soon as we reach that threshold where we really do know where stuff is at all the time, then we can move over into Jeff's idea of just automating all of that. We can even have. You know, I would love to have initiators in the field where, as soon as it goes in, you walk away, it automatically initiates over to your PMs for approval. Billing of that item as fully installed—that would be wonderful. And it, it hopefully we'll see that at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, well, you're th- seeing things like ICT Tracker that I think in their future uh-huh. that's something of what they would be able to do. So there's there's technology coming through, and of course, we're geeking out in the geekosphere about technology and but you heard us it's it's people process and technology so my next article i'm doing a segue um nika names josh bone as director of industry innovation that's right josh bone yes thank you thank you the one and only bim to the bone is taking his fantastic passion for this industry and moving it forward and focusing on nika and the impact that he can have part of this is we need champions that understand the industry that really care and if any of you have ever seen josh or talked to josh you know he embodies that to his core and we are so excited because this means he doesn't just impact a single business a single company he impacts the entire uh, electrical contractors national electrical contractors association and their partners and I think this is huge for Nika because, you know, David Long, their chief executive officer said, it's not just about adopting technology. It's about changing the way we work. And what he was saying was about the way they work with their own members. And I guarantee that innovation is going to be turned on Nika itself for the good as much as on the electrical contractors that are a member of Nika. So I expect great things. Um, I'm super happy. You know, we've hit on DFMA here a bunch. DFMA is in uh, the press release. You're going to have to go find it out there on LinkedIn. But really, give Josh a hand. And um, we're, I'm excited. I mean, Jonathan, you're clapping over there. You got to want to jump in and talk about our boy.
1: I think this is perfect fit for Josh. And honestly, when we're, when we're doing BDC, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir of Curtis, the one piece that often is behind is the electrical. The electricals not included in those high-level models, and it's a real big problem. As you go into these bigger buildings, trying to get all your stuff in, and the electricals lagging. You know, you put a couple leaders like Josh out there pushing the industry and and helping them to adopt technology. I would I would not be a bit surprised if you start to see a lot more collaboration. You know, we were talking about the building being a community of people working together. You know, we need people like josh working with the electricians to start to push them up to where we're at because i do think that the mechanicals for whatever reason kind of got ahead of the electrical guys for a little while and and i think that josh will will totally change the way that they do um technology over there at nika i have no doubt
0: i mean i think it's like running a race right i mean somebody had to be out there in front and showing you that you could run the four and a half or two hour sub two hour marathon or sub three hour marathon and run four minute and 33 second mile somebody got to do it first and then all of a sudden you'll notice other people start doing it afterwards and and i think it's part of the process plus i i i actually understand that there's quite a bit about the mechanical piece that lends itself to it where the electrical took a little while to figure out some of the prefabrication techniques that are even still going on are somewhat homemade and they're not really fully there yet they're going to get there but I mean, this is the key, though. And and you've got now industry doing this. You you know, we know, and we're good friends with MCAA and Sean McGuire. And, you know, y- you're going to start to see these industries, uh, associations, and then the association directors can work together to really pull everybody up. And then we hit this rising tide lifts yeah. all ships. Um, we're getting a little close. I want to hit my last one here, guys, and that's the rebar tying robot. They're a little update. What I thought was interesting here was Mark Cuban. Um, So this is on construction dive rebar tying robot attracts shark tank investor for $3 million in funding. Why is I, why do I think that's important? I think it's important, not because of the investment, but because what Mark Cuban had to say um, about his, and 27 ventures had to say about they've been watching the construction industry and looking for areas to invest to help really move it forward and toggles leading the way toward new automated solution for the fabrication and assembly of rebar using robotics in a U.S. based factory. So they're not investing in a rebar tying robot. That's trying to go out into our real world and tie rebar on the job site. They're investing in those people that are backing the fabrication and modularization of construction into a factory based, OS, a factory based world. And that is where we need the money to go. Cause that's where we need the information. It's not like I haven't beaten DFMA to a dead pulp today, but that it's really what it's for. And it takes investment and belief. One of the problems I think with the industry, and I was having a discussion with our CTO Angelina yesterday about this is, is there is a cost up front to this industry to make this change. You do not change to prefabrication and save money on job one. You lose money on job one. It's job 100 that it becomes exponentially cheaper. And that's where we need this investment to happen um it's great to see other people out there recognizing it. I mean, Curtis, this kind of investment in prefabrication is what you want to see, right?
2: Oh, 100%. 100%. And I do want to kind of go back to uh, the previous news story cuz I feel like it relates to this. The more that we can make this tech this technology available to kind of the uh the entry level you know, companies like wanting to raise the floor of the industry is basically kind of what I I like to describe. You know, basically, you know, make this technology available. You know, um, you know, in, invest as an industry in in you know in pushing us forward and helping everybody. I, you know, uh, um, maybe it's the capitalist in me, but you know, like competition is is it, well, it, it's probably the Pete Carroll from Seahawks, Go Hawks. Uh, you know, it, just competition, competition Wednesday, you know, competition every day. And, uh, you know, it helps to breed innovation and helps to basically raise the floor of the industry and help everybody else out. So I love hearing people, you know, investing in technology, investing in, into the people and not necessarily thinking that 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 particular you know, piece of technology is what it's going to be. But believing that that think tank of people is going to is going to come up with and, and push multiple ideas and spur those off into other folks who can then take it even further.
0: Yeah, Jonathan,
1: what do you think about the rebar tying robot? I I gotta say, I read the same article. I was looking at it earlier in the week, and all I could think is, I want to play with that robot. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, you can tie rebar. What can we do with piping? Come on, we can do this with piping. Let's take some. Let's take some uh, sets of a sprinkler pipe and just have the rebar tying robot yeah. tie our piping, mark it, and send it to the field. Maybe maybe we can we can get with Libby and work out a way to do that next. <laughs>
0: So, if you haven't seen too, uh, the B1M puts a lot of different things out for us. They just released a documentary that actually shows this robot in it, and I I forgot to mention it. But there is a uh, they just released a one about construction manufacturing. And so, if you haven't, how manufacturing will transform construction? That's the B1M. By the way, BIM for Beginners, BIM case studies, a great place for people like me who sometimes get lost when you two are talking. It's where we go to figure out our information, but go check it out because they actually show toggle in this with their rebar tying robot. So um, I could geek out with you two all day guys, but I got to wrap us up here. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. I love hearing your story. University Mechanical is one of my favorites. I love talking to Ryan. I love talking to the people. There's something about the people you guys put out. I'm stoked to see you out with our boy, Todd Libby, out there now. Thanks for coming on, man.
2: Thank you very much for having me, guys.
0: Jonathan, our first show together that I got to host, and there's no whiskey in between us, so (laughs) it it was a good day, buddy.
1: Yeah, right on, man. I hope to do this again. It was great to talk to you, Curtis. We'll be talking soon.
0: Hey, we'll see you guys all soon. Come join us at the Roadshow in Dallas and the uh, construction dork out the day afterwards. There will be whiskey in between. Thanks for tuning in today to Geek Out for episode 191 for our interview with Curtis Watson from GTP Services. Please join us next week for episode 192. To read all our news stories and to learn more about apps, workflow, and hardware, please subscribe to our newsletter at jbknowledge.com to subscribe to the podcast text contact to 66866 and a special thank you to the master in the background jim greenley our podcast producer kara dalton arrow who brings all the creative juices to the show and our advertising coordinator letitia Thelen. thanks listen to the show go to the this is the contact crew signing out until next time enjoy the ride and geek out